that changes everything. And I pray today that through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would allow the kingdom of heaven to come down and touch us in this place. I pray that today you would allow us to see you and to see your son risen and we would recognize that everything is changed because of it. So be with us today. In your name we pray. Amen. I'm uh, Ben Hardman. I'm the pastor here. Thanks for coming on Easter. This is your first time. We're glad that you guys are here. We'd love for you to come back and hang out with us another time. Um, But we won't do real awkward things like the guy in the announcement video. Um, At least we'll try not to. We don't have petting zoos very often. Um, I guess we do at Christmas Eve, don't we? (laughs) He got us. Uh, That's good. Uh, My my family's all in Ohio. And uh, my kids grew up with their nephews or their cousins, my nephews and nieces, all kind of hanging out together. And I've got a little nephew. His name's AJ. He's four years old. He's the cutest little guy in the world. Like, he's just one of those big personality kids. Like, he just, you can tell that he's going to be one of those kids that loves people and loves to be the center of attention. You know, you know the kid I'm talking, like, some of you, your kids, like, you know that that's your kid, right? There's other kids, like, like my older kids just want to hide, right? But there's others that they, they want to be out in front and they want to be seen. And uh, every time we go back to Ohio, my sister says that AJ sits at the front of their house and he wakes up early because all children like make your, when, when you have babies, like they make your life miserable for like 10 years, right? Like I don't think I slept in the first 10 years of any of my children's life once, right? Because they're always up early. They're waking you up. They're messing with you. So he wakes up incredibly early. And on the days that we're back in Ohio, which Ohio is miserable, guys. It's like, it's like it was in Atlanta yesterday, right? That's, that's what Ohio is. I don't know why we jumped into winter again yesterday. I think it was just a sign that he is risen, right? The weather's better. Everything's better because he's risen today. So my, my nephew, AJ, he, he, he loves to just kind of hang out. And then the moment he wakes up that morning, he sits in the window and just waits. He just waits for a sign of the car that's pulling in with his cousins in the car. And my sister said the last time that we came and visited that he sat in the windowsill for seven hours in anticipation of Cole, Caden, and Claire coming. And he says all of their names at the same time. And he says, Cole, Caden, Cole, and Claire. I don't know why he gets all the other C's right, but when he says Caden, it's Taden, right? And so he's so excited about Cole, Taden, and Claire coming. And the moment we pull in, My sister says that he just loses his mind and he starts screaming, I see them, I see them, I see them, they're here. And he starts running around and we open that door as if he is meeting Jesus himself, right? It's as if he's meeting LeBron James and Michael Jordan and the Paw Patrol, right? Isn't that what kids like? That's what Will likes. Will's about his age, right? That's the thing, like it's the greatest moment of his life because there's something that he sees that is magnificent. And as I've been praying this week about Easter, my prayer has been like our anticipation to make, for Jesus to show up every single day is the same passion and excitement that AJ waits at the door for us to arrive. Like imagine if we woke up every morning with this eager anticipation of Jesus is going to show up. Something's going to happen today. I'm going to have an encounter with the living God today, like something fresh and something new, something full of hope and joy and peace and grace. Something wonderful is going to happen because here's the truth. On Easter Sunday, we wake up a little more excited than on, than on other days of the week, other Sundays. Are you with me? Yeah, some of you are getting it. We're getting there. We're, we're, it's all right. We're, 
We're, we've been talking about our church is going to get excited about Easter sometime, right? I've, I've been here for two years. My goal is by the time I retire, right, when I hit 60, there's going to be a lot of excitement about Easter. But we get excited. Like, this is a special day for the church. And it's not just because our kids are sugared up, right? It's not just because we had one of those Cadbury caramel eggs. Those things are amazing. Anybody with me? The, nobody else likes them? I, the church could pay me in those, right? Just, just those caramel eggs. I would weigh like 300 pounds, but I'd be super excited about Easter, right? Like, I love those things. And those little Starburst jelly beans, I love all that stuff. Um, but here's the thing. Like, this is a special day. We wake up with eager anticipation that something exciting is going to happen. Can I be truthful with you? Like, as a pastor, the Easter sermon you spend a little more time on. You do. Because uh, you're a little more excited, right? It's a big day for us. And from history throughout history, from family to family, from generation to generation, people have gathered on Easter Sunday to worship the resurrected king. Just like we're doing today. When I was a kid, our, our, my dad wasn't the pastor at the church, but we were one of those first people in and last people to leave the church people. Anybody else? That's how you grew up? Yeah, a few of you. I'm sorry. Right, that was us. We were the first to show up every week because my dad was helping with something or my mom was doing something around the church and we were the last to leave because my mom and dad got chatty all of a sudden at the end of the service. Right? They decided to talk to every single person that was there today. And so I can remember as a kid just sitting there like, when are we leaving? Like everybody else is gone. They've put the basketballs away. Like the toys are gone. Like there's nothing else to do here except run around the church by myself. Like there's nothing going on. But I remember Easter Sunday, the first ones to arrive, the last ones to leave. We woke up at six this morning with our family and we started kind of opening Easter baskets and doing all the candy stuff. I've got two older boys who could care less. I had to like drag them out of bed. They'll eat the candy, but they're they begrudgingly got up this morning, right? And then I've got one little one. I've got one last hope, right? She's nine. She's about to turn 10, and she's awesome right now. She's excited about everything and fired up about Easter, and I just know that she's going to be, like, one to sleep in in three or four years, and my life will be over as a father. It's just, like, no more fun ever. We're going to have to adopt, like, three more kids, Sarah, right? We're just going to have to do something to get some more fresh energy going on. But I've got one left who has this like Easter passion and Easter excitement. And, and so we woke up, we did the little Easter baskets, we prayed, we came into church and my kids came with me and as I was driving into church, it's just this beautiful moment. Like I'm driving from West Cobb and we're driving through the mountains and the trees and like the sunlight's just shining across. And I don't know if it's because it was such a gloomy day yesterday and it was so nasty, but it was like, this is a holy moment, right? I don't know if that makes sense to any of you who aren't parents, but there was something about it that was just like, this is what my parents did with me for years, and this is what I'm doing with my, parents, my kids, and my prayer is that one day my children pack their kids in a car and force them to get up early on Sunday morning, and that they're the first ones to show up and the last ones to leave, and that they celebrate and worship because there's nothing in the world that I want more for my kids than for them to see Jesus. That's it. Like I got hopes for them, right? I hope they get good grades. I'd like for them to graduate. I'd like for them to get jobs. I'd like to be, for them to be like fully functioning adults someday. I, I think it's kind of possible. Like I see glimpses of it occasionally. But there's nothing I want more for my kids than for them to see Jesus. 
for them to know him, for them to walk with him. And so today is this special day where we just kind of focus all of our attention on seeing him. We just want to see Jesus. We just want to look at him. On Good Friday, we gathered here. On Monday, Thursday, we started 24 hours of prayer. And every six to eight weeks, we've been doing this thing where we just do 24 hours of prayer. We kind of gather the church. We pray for the community. We pray for needs in our church. And we did the Stations of the Cross all around the room. And for 24 hours, we opened the church. And people were here all hours of the night. Some of you are apparently um, 3 a.m. prayers, which is cool. Uh, And there are people here praying all throughout the night, all throughout the day. And, and then we gathered on Good Friday, and on Good Friday, we looked at the John 19 passage where Pilate stands Jesus in front of everybody and says, behold the man, look at Jesus. And today, I want to focus on a passage in Luke chapter 24. It's the story we just saw, where Mary says, I saw him, I saw him, and my hope is And my prayer has been that every single one of us, by the time that we leave here today, in some way we'll be able to say, I saw him. I saw him. Luke chapter 24, verse 1, it says, On the first day of the week, at the early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of our Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Now, here's the reality of what's going on in this moment. They weren't looking for anything living. The women had seen Jesus crucified. Right? Like Tyler said, they had seen his cold body taken down off the cross. They had seen the spear stuck in his side. They had seen blood and water flow. They had seen him pulled down. They had seen his body be surrendered over to Joseph of Arimathea, who wrapped his body in the burial clothes and placed him in a tomb where they were preparing for his burial. So they went to the tomb, not ready to see anything living at all. They went there to find somebody dead. They went there to put anointing oil on the cold, dead body of Jesus. It was a way to honor him. It was a way to say he's important. It was the same kind of activity that the prostitute did when she bowed at his feet and dumped oil all over him. It's this loving kind of moment of we're going to spend our expenses. We're going to anoint his body. He's going to at least be anointed. And you've got to imagine. Imagine what's going through these women's mind and the disciples' mind in this moment. Everything is lost. Everything is gone. They had put all of their cards in the Jesus basket. They had doubled down. They'd gone all in in following Jesus. They had said, I'm giving my whole life to follow this rabbi, and I don't know what's next, but everything I have is going right here. And all of a sudden, they watch the guy that they put all their hopes in die, and now they're sitting there thinking, there is no hope. It's gone. It's over. It's broken. There's nothing left. I gave myself to something and it didn't have any fruit. And I don't know what to do now. And so they're hanging out in this room. And as they hang out in the room, I imagine they're just waiting for a knock on the door. But they don't expect the knock on the door to be Mary. They expect the knock on the door to be the Roman soldiers coming to take them to be crucified. 
They expect somebody to come and arrest them. They're waiting for the next ball to drop, for the next bad thing to happen. They're waiting for the next thing that's going to happen. And they show up at this tomb. And the question is, why do you look for the living among the dead? They weren't even looking for anything living. But here's the thing about God. God knows what we're looking for even when we can't say it. Scripture's full of this thing where it talks about the Spirit's cry. It talks about crying out from the depths of our soul. Here's what God does. God gives us language for the things that we don't know how to say. Do you recognize that? That he knows your deepest longings in your heart. And he doesn't run from those. He's not afraid of those. He actually wants to give you life. Why do you look for the living among the dead? And I don't know in that moment what's going on, but, but it says the guys were wearing dazzling apparel, which is kind of a funny phrase, right? Some of you ladies today, you're wearing dazzling apparel. You're looking good, right? Fellas, I see more suit jackets than I do on normal Sundays, right? Dazzling apparel, right? So I don't know what they're more surprised on is that they show up and there's a tomb that's empty, that they show up that there's two angels wearing dazzling apparel, or if they show up and they hear this amazing question, why do you look for the living among the dead? Because the first thing that was happening was they were looking for the wrong thing. And I wonder for us if we can go through our life looking for the wrong thing in the wrong place. I wonder for us if there's a way that we can live that just, we just kind of live in this process of, oh man, another bad thing's going to happen. Everything's going to fall apart. Everything's broken. Everything's bad. Everything's hurting. Everything's, everything's bad. And instead of just seeing that there's something fresh and that there's something new, why are you looking for the living among the dead. I don't know about you guys, but there's certain things in life that just give me life. Are you with me? Like, like there's just things in this world that bring me joy. Like I love a table full of friends and a good meal and good drinks. I love, like, I love my little girl's laugh. Like there's never gonna become a moment in my life where that's not a beautiful sound to me. I love a good basketball game. Anybody with me? Y'all just watched the NCAA, but the NBA, there's some good games going on. You guys should turn that on too, right? No, nobody's biting on that, all right? Uh, wait, wait till the finals, right? It'll be, it'll be all right. Uh, uh, I, I love like a sunrise in the morning. I, like there's so many things. I've got this little space in my house, in my back patio, that's just this quiet place and there's kind of trees around and it's just quiet and I go out there in the morning and I just get quiet and I hide from my children and I love that place, right? There's all kinds of things in life that give us some kind of joy. But here's the reality. There is nothing in this world that will ever satisfy me except for Jesus. I've run to a million different places and tried a million different things. And there's nothing that gives me life the way that he gives me life. There's nothing that brings me peace the way that he brings me peace. There's nothing that brings me joy the way that he brings me joy. There's nothing that gives me hope the way that he gives me hope. There's nothing in the world that has brought me the satisfaction that I found in him anywhere else. And so often what we're doing is we're looking for the living among the dead. So we search for things that will never actually bring us satisfaction. So we try and find our satisfaction in ourselves. We try to find our satisfaction in our accomplishments. 
We try and find our satisfaction in our jobs or, or, or in our bank accounts or in the houses we own or the cars that we have. We try and find our satisfaction in the lives that our kids are living and we try and live vicariously through them. We try and find our satisfaction in the way that other people look at us or perceive us. We try and find our satisfaction in all of these different places and I just wonder if we're looking for the living among the dead. I wonder if we're going to dead things and saying, why isn't this dead thing giving me life? Because it never was meant to. Because it's not supposed to. And, and, and so I, I actually think that there's many of us who would rather serve a dead God than a living God. We're happy to settle. Many of us would prefer or at very least settle for a dead God instead of a living one. For a dead faith instead of a living one. Because here's the truth. A dead God never asked me for anything. A dead religion never requires anything of me. A dead faith never asked me to go serve the poor. A dead God doesn't ask me to lay down my life for my friends. A, a, a dead religion doesn't call me to become the best version of myself. It doesn't ask me to do the hard work of transformation in my own life so that I can love my family well. It doesn't ask me to change myself in any way. And so for many of us, we'd rather show up to church every single week and hum a couple songs and listen to a story and serve a dead God rather than recognize that there is a living God who is active and moving and working and breathing and wants to change and transform our lives because dead gods are always easier than living gods. But can I tell you this? Our God is living. Our God is living. And, and, and there are so many ways that the, that the church these days have fallen into this trap of like serving a dead God. We gather together and we have boring worship services and we listen to boring sermons and we sing boring songs and we go out and we're just like counting the time until lunch comes. We have boring prayers because we don't have anything to talk to God about. We have a boring life because God's not calling us into any kind of adventure or challenge or those kinds of things. And I just want you to, I just want everybody in the room to know that our God is living, that he's alive, and the reason I know is because I've seen him. I, I, I see him every week. Like I, I, a dead God doesn't heal marriages, and God keeps doing that in our congregation right now. A dead God doesn't rescue us from the shame of our past, and God keeps doing that in our congregation right now. A dead God doesn't heal our hearts from our deepest broken wounds that we don't want to share with anybody else, but God keeps doing that in our midst right now. A dead God doesn't call us to sacrifice for each other and lay down our lives for each other, but that keeps happening among us. A dead God doesn't rescue us from our poor decisions and from our past and call us to a new future and a new hope, but God keeps doing that in our midst. A dead God, a dead bod, a dead God doesn't heal our bodies right? When we're sick and when we're broken, but I keep hearing stories of God healing people in here. A dead God doesn't turn our sorrow into joy. A dead God doesn't do what I see God do in this place every single week and not just on Sundays. I've seen him. I've seen him. And because I've seen him, I want to run to him. Verse six, he's not here, but he's risen. Remember how I told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. 
And they remembered his words, and returning to the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. The first thing is that they were looking for the wrong thing. The second thing is that they were looking in the wrong place. And I just wonder if there's a lot of us who we go through our everyday life and we're looking for life. We're looking something for something that will bring us some joy or some hope or some peace or some grace. And we're looking in all the wrong places. We're looking inside ourselves. We're looking for others. We're looking for all of these different things. I, I grew up in a really conservative religious culture. Anybody else? That, I'm sorry if that's you. But I, I grew up, we, we've been talking about under grace or under the law. I grew up under the law. Like I grew up believing that Christianity was just a bunch of rules that you had to follow and that it was all up to me to be good. And if I did this stuff, then God loved me. And if I did this stuff, then God hated me. And if I followed the rules, I'd get blessed. And if I didn't follow the rules, I'd get cursed. And like there was all these different things that I believed that was all about me doing. And none of that ever gave me life. I never wanted any of that stuff. It was dead. And then I met Jesus. And then I started hearing about his grace and his love and his mercy and his kindness. And I started for the first time to see him. Because here's, here's the truth. I know people who have sat in the church for many, many years and have never seen Jesus. I know people who have studied their Bible for many, many years and have never seen Jesus. I know people who have been around congregations for a long time and they've been in places where they show up for the worship service, they show up for the prayer service, they serve in the kids area, they're ushers on Sunday, they wear their suit jacket on Easter Sunday and they, don't, they have never seen Jesus. And I, I just wanna apologize on behalf of the church that so many of us believe that the church is dead. About five years ago, a survey came out, and about five years ago was the first time in our country's history where people started to say, I believe next year is going to be worse than this year. The first time in our country's history that we thought next year is going to be worse than this year. We'd had this like era of optimism, and maybe it was fake optimism, but we at least had some kind of optimism, like things are going to get better, things are going to get better, things are going to get better. But I don't know about you guys, but when I watch the news, it feels like things are getting worse. It feels like there's more divisiveness. It feels like there's more brokenness. It feels like there's more woundedness. It feels like the gap between people is growing larger and not smaller. It feels like there is more pain and more hurt and more brokenness and more divisive rhetoric on all different sides and nobody's coming together and we have this belief that nothing can get better. And I don't know about you, but maybe you've been going through a year where it feels like that. Where it feels like all you've been doing is taking losses. It feels like every corner you're just waiting for the next ball to drop and the next bad thing to happen. It's like the week where you're, you get a flat tire and your roof starts leaking and you, I don't know, you, all these different things happen all at the same time. It feels like that's been this year for you. And here's the good news. Here's the good news. Is that today's Easter Sunday. And on Easter Sunday, everything starts new. On Easter Sunday, everybody gets a fresh start. And if last year for you has felt like death, the call for you today is resurrection. I, I remember my wife and I had gone through the most painful season of our life. Just a terrible season. We'd had 
all kinds of things go on in our work. We'd had people who had turned their back on us. We had people that had said unfair things about us, like all kinds of just awful things were going on. And this person met with me, and, and they, they, I think, good-intentioned. They said, I think what Jesus is calling you to do right now is to die. And you just need to keep dying. Like, just keep experiencing the brokenness of that. And I was like, okay, let's die some more, right? <laughs> like, this is what... This is what Christianity is. I just keep dying. And I met with somebody else, and they said, hey, and it was like this prophetic word. They didn't even know, and they said, hey, did somebody tell you that you were supposed to die? And I was like, yeah. And they said, I think the Lord wants me to tell you that he doesn't want you to die again, that he wants you to rise. I think he wants you to tell you that your season of pain is not end of the story. It's just the chapter. That there's more to come, that there's more goodness, that there's more grace, that there's more possibilities. And so can I suggest to all of us that sometimes we're looking for the right thing in the wrong places? Verse 10, it says, now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women who with them told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose, and he ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. In 1898, uh, a relatively unknown painter by the name of Arthur Bernard, or Eugene Bernard, painted a painting which is now known as The Disciples. It's one of the most famous paintings in all in Christendom right now. Um, it, it used to, I, I, it used to sit in a subway tunnel. That's where, the, that's where it was, like there was a little piece of glass and in a subway tunnel, this is where this painting was displayed. It's now in the most famous museum in the world. But at the time, in 1898, everybody was doing this kind of modernism, expressionism kind of stuff, and he just did a straight-up painting of the disciples running. To the, running, running. He, he portrayed this moment in Luke chapter 24. And I've been looking at this painting this week. Can we, can we get a picture of that up? I've been looking at this painting this week. In fact, I, I just ordered it for my office um, because there's something about this moment. There's something about the posture of Peter and John in this painting. There's something about it that just draws me to it. That video of them running to the tomb just captivates me for some reason. You've got Peter like holding his chest as if to say, maybe this could be true. Both of them are like leaning in as they run, almost like a sprinter at the end of the race, like trying to finish the race. John has his hands clutched as if he's saying, please God, make it true. And they're staying in this room and there's a knock at the door and Mary comes in and says, I've seen him, I've seen him, he's alive. And they sprint out the door. I don't know how far it was. Right? It could have been a mile, it could have been two miles. They could have been sprinting the whole way. Peter looks a little chubby and a little old. Like, I don't know if he was winning any marathons, right? But they're going as fast as they possibly can to get to that grave, to get to that tomb, because those who take the time to run to Jesus find him. And there's this beautiful posture that I see in them. Peter is the guy who had just denied Jesus. 
right? He just failed Jesus in the most miserable of ways. If there was one moment where Jesus wanted Peter to show up in his life, it was there, and Peter didn't show up, so he knows he had blown it. He knows that everything had fallen apart. He knows that he was the rock that the church was supposed to be built on and that he was now a failure, and so he needed redemption. He needed restoration. He needed salvation. He needed hope. He needed joy. He needed peace. He needed something, and so the moment that he hears that this may be true, that this could be true, he jumps out and just starts sprinting to the tomb. And I want you to know that that is the posture of every single follower of Jesus throughout history. Is if there's even a glimpse of a chance that the resurrection is true. If there's even a tiny bit of hope that this story is real and true, then every single one of us should run with everything that we have to the tomb and look in and say, Jesus, are you there? So as I've looked at this this week, as I've watched that video that we played, I've just had one really simple prayer. Jesus, teach me to run to you. Like teach me every single morning to wake up, not turning to dead things, not running to the wrong things, not trying to find my satisfaction, my salvation, my redemption, my hope, my joy, any of those things in anything other than you, but teach me how to be a runner who runs to you. Teach me how to wake up every single day because I think that's what Easter's about, guys. I think it's about all of us who are covered in the same kind of shame that Peter is, who are covered in the same brokenness and woundedness. None of us who have deserved or earned our way, none of us who are good enough to be loved by him, none of us who have done enough to, to, to keep a record of right that says we're doing better than we should, none of us who have earned our way, but all of us who have an opportunity to be forgiven. If we just receive it, if we just run to him, and if we just say, there's even a small chance that this is true. I want it. And I need it. So teach me to run to you. Teach me to search for you. Teach me to trust in you. Teach me to want you more than I want this world. Uh, on the 10th day of the 7th month of the 50th year, a thing happened all throughout the Old Testament. It was called the year of Jubilee. Just really amazing thing. On the 10th day, the 7th month, the 50th year, there is this day where all debts are forgiven. Imagine this. Right? So no matter what debt you have, it's over. On that day, all of the prisoners are released from prison. Everybody. On that day, all of the slaves at that time are set free. We have this kind of image of slavery. Slavery in the Bible was much more about debt, right? And so what happens is you would run into debt. You're, you're like your crops fail you one year and you have no way to pay for anything. And so you become indebted to somebody else and you sell yourself or even in the Old Testament, people were selling their children into slavery so that they could survive. It's an agrarian culture. It's way back in the day. And so there's this like, all of a sudden, all the slaves are set free. And not only are they set free, but they get to go back home to the houses that once belonged to them. 
If you got yourself in all kinds of trouble, got in over your head, if you couldn't save yourself, if you couldn't rescue yourself, if there was no way to save yourself, on the 10th day of the seventh month of the 50th year, a year of Jubilee was coming. And here's what would happen. On that year of Jubilee in Jerusalem, someone would grab a shofar. It's like this big, awkward horn. Right? We, we, used, we had somebody that used to bring this to worship at our, at our church. It's really, it's not pleasant during worship. It just, it just makes a really bad sound. It was really awkward to tell them, hey, can we just let the band play the instruments and you not blow the weird goat horn, right? Uh, but, but what would happen, um, not here at this church, that was a different church. Um, feel free to bring your shofars, get after it, right? Do your thing. If that's where the Lord's leading, you worship it. <laughs> uh, but he, here's the thing. So in Jerusalem that morning, of the 50th year, they would blow the horn. And then the next town would blow the horn. And the next town would blow the horn. And the next town would blow the horn. And all throughout the world, suddenly there was this day where everything was new. There was this day where everybody got a fresh start. There was this day where our deepest broken hurting, the things that had got us in the mess were all of a sudden completely erased off the charts and everybody started new. Can I just tell you that Easter Sunday is the year of Jubilee every year. Every single year. And the shofar sound, it was the disciples going from town to town proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of the story, which is the kingdom of God has come. Salvation is available for everyone. We can be rescued from our brokenness, from our hurting, from our past, from the things that we regret. Everything can be created and become new. And so we run to it. We learn to be a people who look for Jesus in the right place. We learn to be a people who look for the right things and we learn to be a people who run after a second chance. I'm sorry if anybody's ever told you that Christians are better than anybody else. I'm sorry if anybody's acted arrogant because of their grace. Because here's the truth, it's what what the Apostle Paul said. I'm the greatest of all sinners. I've made just as many mistakes as everybody else. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have made mistakes. All of us have things in our past that we regret. There's just people who've run to Jesus faster than others. So my prayer this morning has been, let's be runners. Let's clutch our chests and hold tight and say, maybe this is true. And if it is, it demands everything. So we're gonna move into a time of worship and prayer and communion. We've got communion tables set up in the front and in the back. And as we go and take communion every single week, we just take the bread, which represents the body of Christ that was broken. And we take the juice, which represents his blood that was shed for us. And we just simply say, Good Friday is not the end. The death of Jesus is not the end. So we remember his death, but we remember his death as an opportunity for us to run to him. We remember it as a time of worship and an opportunity for us to worship him. So if you're comfortable and want to come and take the bread and take the juice, and, and here's, here's the question that I, that I want you to reflect on and I want you to pray about today. As you come to the table, I just want you to ask Jesus, Jesus, would you, would you show me how to see you? Again, in the ordinary stuff, 
Because sometimes it's easy to see Jesus on Easter Sunday, right? When the pastor's getting a little more fired up and you got some special lights back there and Tyler's looking, wearing extremely dazzling clothes, right? Sometimes it's better. What did it say? Something apparel? Dazzling apparel? Dazzling apparel? Um, But the truth is, when we get to know him, what we start to do is we start to see him in the ordinary. We start to see him in like the normal, everyday, mundane moments. And we start to recognize God was here and I didn't even know it. Like he was here at our family at the table when I heard my daughter laughing and it just brought me great joy. He was there in the sunrise that came out this morning around the mountain. He was there even in the times when I was hurting and when I was broken. I got two texts this morning after first service. One was from my sister who's been going through breast cancer for the last year and she said, tell them that he's good. And the other was from a friend who's, who my, my friend died about 10 years ago and his wife said, I love Easter because Easter reminds me that I get to see him again, that I'm gonna be with my husband again and I'm gonna be with Jesus. Like this is the day where everything is new. So take a chance on Jesus. Come to the table and just say, Lord, if you're real, show me. Like challenge him with it. I promise he'll show up. Maybe not in the way that you want him to, but he'll show up in some way. So we've got a prayer team that's gonna kind of gather along the walls and we're gonna enter into a time of worship. And I just wanna encourage anybody, if you need to, run to him this morning. So Heavenly Father, I pray that you would teach us to see you. Through the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray that you would give us the eyes to see heaven and not just earth. I pray that in the midst of our hurting and our brokenness and our woundedness, in the midst of this world that seems like sometimes it's just falling apart and getting worse year after year, I pray that you would teach us to be a people who have hope. Teach us to be Easter people, Jesus. Teach us to be resurrection people. Teach us to see the bright side. Teach us to trust in your grace and in your mercy and in your forgiveness. Help us to trust that you're restoring relationships. Help us to trust that you're restoring our bodies. Help us to know that you are making all things new and teach us to find you when we seek you. Make us runners, Jesus. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen.